Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of a brand new podcast called Social and Emotional Learning. I am your grateful host, Hunter Carruthers. Many of you who are listening probably know me from school or from online, listening to my music, which you can find the link for on my Instagram at Hunter is Godhop. That is at Hunter is Godhop. Yes, that was a little self promo there, but that is not what the show is about. We are here today to talk about cell or social and emotional learning. What is it? Why is it? And how does it help us? So let's take a step back for a second and look at our current education system. Like many of our social systems today, education is broken. Okay, and I'm not here to talk about corruption and pound into people's heads as to why things are so bad. Uh, you already know it, like I do, that our youth's education is fostered by a lot of underpaid teachers who are unprepared and undertrained to provide the type of lessons we so desperately need as kids. Okay, and this is not to put teachers down. Obviously, within the space um, and these types of discussions about education, there is a high respect for individuals who spend their time, their own money, and energy just to be somewhat of a decent teacher. So as I said, there is a high level of respect for those who day in and day out work hard to create a positive environment for our kids. So thank you to all of our teachers. I have friends and family that are teachers, and if any teachers are listening, shout out to you and thank you very much for your work. So with that being said, moving forward with the current state of our quote-unquote broken system, you know, I think it is even easier to see it in higher education with this sort of business vortex that has been created, uh, where more so than not, young adults come out of the other side knowing just about what it was they already knew before going in, all for the price of debt for so many of their families. In addition to this, I'm not here to talk about free education and the policies that go along with that. I'll let the experts who have been studying and attempting to implement change for decades within the political structures talk about those things. This podcast is meant for you, for the silent majority, to bring awareness to a new wave of education that was really brought into the mainstream literature back in the 90s. I want to create a platform to share what it is, what the research says about it, what is being done today, and also to create an overall interest into the benefits it can provide if implemented effectively, not only for our educational culture in general, but on an individualistic basis as well, because these practices are so crucial to our development that you and I can learn a whole lot about ourselves and each other just by hearing about them. So, Without taking up too much more of your time, for today's episode, I want to define what social and emotional learning is, okay, um, and sort of discuss the context around the idea. So here goes. Social and emotional learning is the process through which children and adults acquire and effectively apply the knowledge, attitudes, and skills necessary to understand and manage emotions set and achieve positive goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain positive relationships, and make responsible decisions. So I know that was kind of a, 
uh, a mouthful of jargon there, but uh, I want to repeat that again so that we can take the most from this and really understand what it is we're talking about here. So, um, again, to define social and emotional learning, it is the process through which children and adults acquire and effectively apply the knowledge, attitudes, and skills necessary to understand and manage emotions, set and achieve positive goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain positive relationships, and to make responsible decisions. These are the key characteristics needed to be developed for our children to be successful, not only in school, but in life. Okay, so throughout common knowledge, as well as verifiable measurements and research, those who do not possess these skills, these key characteristics, are less likely to succeed. Uh, these skills are particularly important for children to develop because they're linked to a variety of behaviors with long-term implications. And in addition, because schools have access to virtually all children and are expected to educate them to become responsible, contributing citizens, they are ideal, uh, these key characteristics are ideal settings in which to promote children's social-emotional as well as academic development. So, I hope you sort of have an idea as to what we are talking about here today. You might be thinking, well, okay, so how does something like this even begin to be implemented pragmatically into our education system? And surely there are a lot of hardships to be faced with the additional training of our teachers, the overall increase in the demand for higher quality teachers, because we in many ways are talking about emotional intelligence here, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard of. Emotional intelligence, or EQ, has been popularized in the 2000s and often referred to when speaking about finding the best employees for a workforce. So you might also be thinking, well, Aren't there already programs out there that kind of touch on these types of topics? Programs that work to prevent drug use or create positive environments for learning? And the answer is yes. However, the long-term effectiveness of these efforts are stagnated by the fragmented approach these programs utilize. One, prob one problem with current efforts to promote social and emotional learning is that they are quite, quite often fragmented, like I said, that is, there are separate programs to promote health, prevent violence and delinquency, to encourage school bonding and attachment, to prevent dropping out, and to decrease teen pregnancy and AIDS. And these are just um, a few programs that I've named here. So, as a result, there simply have been too many programs introduced. Schools nationally are implementing an average of 14 different practices throughout a school year to prevent problem behavior and to promote safe environments. And with this expansion of efforts, the question must be raised about how well they can carry out so many different activities. It is also a mistake to address these problems in isolation instead of establishing holistic, coordinated approaches that effectively address academic performance mediators such as motivation, self-management, goal setting, engagement, and so forth. 
um, success in school can be reflected in many ways. And the ways that organizations such as CASEL, or the Collaborative Academia for Social and Emotional Learning, reflect these factors include school attitudes, which is motivation, responsibility, attachment, or school behavior, which is engagement, attendance, study habits, and of course school performance, um, which can be grades, subject mastery, test performance. So coming back, um, for those who are advocating CELL as a framework for quality programs, the primary pro purpose of schools in general is seen as preparing students to become knowledgeable, responsible, and caring citizens. Schools should be concerned with creating the kinds of experiences that develop productive, healthy people. To prepare students for today's world, education must foster lifelong learners. And for myself, as well as many experts in this field, there is a spiritual aspect to this as well. Uh, the spirituality of teaching and learning as a way to address the need for connectedness with one another and with the meaning and wisdom we have to share from learned information and from our own experiences. Uh, when education ignores these issues, it produces a system that alienates and bores the learner. It also ignores young people's need for mentoring and questions of greatest significance in their lives. What is my meaning and purpose? What are my greatest gifts? And how can I maintain hope in a not-so-picture-perfect world? And I think uh, for sure myself, as well as many of you, you can attest to this. Um, when there is a lack of that, really that, uh, that core pillar that we as humans need to grow and, and learn in life, which is spirituality, whatever that may be for the individual, um, to not have that implemented in our learning system is really um, creating an environment that is boring the learner and um, you know depriving us of what we need as humans to, like I said, learn and grow. Um, so now, before I basically wrap up this week's cell episode, I want to again define cell in a few different ways from some experts in the field. Dr. Daniel Goleman is an internationally known psychologist who has one of the most famous books out on emotional intelligence. Um, it generally refers to those to learning those skills involved in being self-confident and motivated, knowing what behaviors are expected, curbing impulses to misbehave, being able to wait, which is very difficult for most people to learn, <laughs> following directions, knowing how to ask for help, expressing our needs, and getting along with others. Now, some of you might be thinking these skills are so easily gained and that you have it all down, but I can bet uh, those of you who are thinking these things probably had a very good family structure as well as a financial foundation to grow up on. And not everyone has these type of environments as they grow up. And also, um, I wouldn't be so sure of yourself, you know, because uh, these skills can be sharpened and further developed to create a higher quality of life for you and those around you. And I bet that if you took some time to really um, look within to yourself, 
you would be able to begin and break down sort of these walls that you had never known were there and really get to the core of, of who you are and uh, what your purpose is here. Going back, uh, Dr. Goleman goes on to say, in the school context, cell is the process for integrating thinking, feeling, and behavior to achieve important social tasks, to also meet personal and social needs, and to develop the skills necessary to become a productive, contributing member of society. Okay, one last definition here from John Payton and others. Uh, they define cell programs as providing systematic classroom instruction that enhances children's capacities to recognize and manage their emotions, appreciate the perspective of others, establish pro-social goals and solve problems, and to use a variety of interpersonal skills to effectively and ethically handle developmentally relevant tasks. Cell programs are also concerned with establishing environments that extend instruction so that what is learned in the classroom generalizes to learning needs outside of the classroom. Cell programs thus contribute to academic success, healthy growth and development, positive relationships, and motivation to contribute to surrounding communities. Wow, I know I covered a lot, but I'm hoping that you now have an overall understanding as to what Cell is. This podcast, as of now, is not going to last forever. It will probably only last a short season, so I have to provide a lot of information for you all. I'm excited for this, and I hope that this has at least piqued some interest for you. Next week, I will get right into the key components that provide the framework for Cell. There are five main components that I will present and go into detail on. This concludes the first episode. At the end of every episode, I want to end with a quote. This week's quote is from Margaret Mead. Children must be taught how to think, not what to think. Thank you. Please feel free to like, comment, and share this episode. And message me with any questions about this podcast. I would love to hear what you all think about this topic. And lastly, when you work to know thyself, you are preparing to know God. <laughs>